This morning, the message is entitled, How Far Would You Go? And it's from Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. So how far would you go? Would you go as far as putting a bumper sticker on your car? There you go. There's a great illustration. How far would you go? Acts chapter 21, verses 1 to 26. And let me just tell you that the message this morning is dominated by the will of God. It's dominated by the will of God. It's about the will of God. Here's the question for us to kind of get us into this message, get us into the word, get us paying attention. If the message, if the text is dominated by the will of God, are our lives dominated by the will of God? Or are they dominated by our own wills, our own desires? How important is God's will to us? What priority does God's will have in our lives functionally? I'm not just saying intellectually. We would all say, of course, I want to do the will of God. But functionally, what priority does it hold in our lives? How far would we go for God's will? So open your Bibles, Acts 21, 1 to 26. Let us enter the text to hear what God has to say to us as a church about his will as we read how far Paul was willing to go for God's will. Acts 21, Acts 21, verse 1. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo, and having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, and we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais. And we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. They're working their way toward Jerusalem. And we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, here's the key verse, and said, let the will of the Lord be done. 
And after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went up with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly on the following day. Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he, re- he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these four men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification should be fulfilled and the offerings presented for each one of them. Lord, please speak to us through your word. Build your church, Jesus, I pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are here with us this day, and we rejoice in you and in your word. Open our ears and our eyes, our hearts. Oh, Father, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. The Shark Tank is a TV reality show that my family and I like to watch. It features the following. A panel of potential investors, millionaires and billionaires, called Sharks, who consider offers from aspiring entrepreneurs seeking investments for their fledgling businesses or products. Hence, they enter the Shark Tank. The entrepreneur or the contestant can make a deal on the show if a panel member, a shark, is interested. The show portrays the drama of how far people will go to make their dreams, their desire, their will come to pass in the form of their business or product. An example of how far people will go to get their will done, their product produced, their business up and running, is one of the sharks themselves, Damon John. He was born in New York City in the borough of Brooklyn, but he grew up in the Hollis neighborhood of Queens. He was an only child. He grew up with a single mother. And one day, Damon asked his mother to teach him how to use a sewing machine, and he began to make the distinctive tie-top hats. Now, I had no idea what a tie-top hat was. I'd asked my daughter. Apparently, they're very popular amongst certain people. And then selling them on the streets of Queens in the evening hours. Well, one day in 1992, he and his friends sold $800 worth of tie-top hats. And they realized, hey, our ideas have definite potential. 
So Damon, John, and his mother mortgaged the home they had collectively owned for $100,000 to get the startup capital. And even more amazingly, his mother agreed to move out of the house so Damon and his friends could use the house as a makeshift factory and office space. And, as a result, FUBU, a multi-million dollar clothing line, was born. So, how far would you go for God's will, for God's business venture? See, this is the question that drives our text this morning. Quite often, people are willing to go to extraordinary, even foolish lengths to get their business up and running, to get their will done. I'll do anything to get my will done. How far would you go for God's will? And that's the driving question this morning. How far would you go for God's will? Would you go as far as, point one, praying? For God's will. Would you pray God's will? When we look at the text, and please look at the text, we see in verse 1 that Paul departs from Miletus when he had parted from them. And he's on the coast of Asia. If you could please show the map. So he departs from all of the elders of Ephesus. See where it says Asia? If you go down, you'll see Miletus. And he departs from them and he sails across the Mediterranean. It says here that he goes by Cyprus. In verse 3, leaving it on the left, and he sails to Syria and lands at Tyre, down here where it says Tyre. Paul was probably tired when he got to Tyre. I guess that fell flat, huh? So anyways, what is Paul trying to do here? Paul is trying to arrive at Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. And so the day of Pentecost would be seven weeks, 49 days, about 50 days from the day of Passover. So imagine in our calendar, about 50 days from Easter would be Pentecost. Easter this year, I believe, was the last Sunday in March. So 50 days later, it puts you about the middle of May. I think next year, Easter is a little later in the year. It's in April. So think 50 days from Easter. So think mid-May to mid-June. And he's desperately trying to get to Jerusalem because he wants to be there for the Feast of Pentecost. Now, Al, what does this have to do with praying God's will? Well, if you recall, Paul began his trip to Jerusalem, down here on the far right, from Corinth, up here in the far left. This is the end of the third missionary journey, and in Corinth, we know what he was thinking, because in Corinth, several months earlier, several months before this this narrative occurred, While in Corinth, Paul wrote a letter, a very famous letter. If you remember, he wrote the letter to the Romans. And if you go to the letter of the Romans, in chapter 15, verse 30, which we have on the screen here, we get into Paul's head, and we hear and we know from this text, written while he's in Corinth, right before he begins this trip to Jerusalem, that Paul was praying. I'll read it to you. I appeal to you, brothers, the brothers in Rome, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Paul continues to pray God's will, determined to get to Jerusalem. And we know 
from what he said to the Ephesian elders in last week's message, that he was well aware what God's will was in Jerusalem. It would involve some unpleasant things. Look at Acts 20, just the chapter before. Acts 20, verses 22 to 24. Paul's on the beach there in Miletus, and he says this, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem. Acts 20, 22. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except... Now, this he does know, because he's been praying, he's been seeking God, except, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. God. How far was Paul willing to go for the will of God? He was willing to go to the very end, all the way. Imprisonment, afflictions, even death. How far are you willing to go for God's will? Are you you willing to pray for God's will? Knowing that that prayer will deliver you a step closer to God's will. I can only imagine that if God's will for Paul at that time was to testify to the Lord Jesus in Jerusalem, his will for us this morning is to testify to the Lord Jesus in South Florida. How far are we willing to go for God's will? Are we willing to pray this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray? It's in Matthew 6, 9. Paul was willing to pray it. He was willing to go as far as Jerusalem. And the reason he was willing to go as far as Jerusalem is because he began the journey with this prayer. The Lord Jesus taught us this prayer. Matthew 6, 9 through 13, Jesus teaches us how to pray. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive, have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, Paul, Paul certainly knew this prayer. Paul certainly prayed this prayer. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you pray God's will, friend? Back to point one. Do you pray God's will? Do you pray that God's kingdom come and that God's will be done on earth in your life as it is in heaven, no matter how far it takes you or where it takes you? See, for Paul, it meant imprisonment, afflictions in Jerusalem. We know this from our very text. Go back to your text. Look at uh, verses 4 to 6 in chapter 21. When he gets to Tyre, They tell him, don't go to Jerusalem. Look at verse 4b. Acts 21, our text, verse 4b. And through the Spirit, so the Spirit of the Lord is speaking. There's a lot of praying going on. There's a lot of worshiping going on. Through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Why were they telling him not to go to Jerusalem? Because through prayer, they knew there would be imprisonment. There would be afflictions awaiting him. But God's will would be awaiting him as well. 
And is it worth it? Is it worth it? Look what happens when he gets to Caesarea, verses 8 to 12 in chapter 21. Drop into verse 11b. This prophet comes from Judea, probably from Jerusalem. Caesarea is on the coast. Caesarea is the port city that feeds Jerusalem. Maybe, I don't know, 30 miles or so from Jerusalem. So people that come to Caesarea on their way to Jerusalem, all the pilgrims coming for the day for the Feast of Pentecost are in Caesarea. There's a hustle and a bustle. He's with the believers in Caesarea. He's there for several days. And in comes this prophet named Agabus. And he grabs Paul's belt. I'm not going to take my belt off, okay? But it would be different than my belt this morning. Back then, the belts were made of cloth. They'd be very long. They'd be thin. And so you would wrap it around yourself and then tie your belt. So you can imagine with a long piece of cloth like that, he takes uh, Paul's belt. And in the, 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 the uh, tradition of the Old Testament prophets, he, he shows them the prophecy. He binds his own hands. And then he says this, verse 11b, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man, Paul, who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And then in verse 12, Luke writes Acts and he says, we, so Luke's included in the the crowd of voices, and the people, the church at Caesarea, urged him, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul says back to them in verse 13 and 14, I've got to go to Jerusalem because that's where God's will is for me. How far was he willing to go? It's one thing to mortgage your house, but do you mortgage your life on this earth, potentially? Is it worth it? Is God's will worth it? Is starting FUBU, a multi-million dollar chain of clothing, worth it? Well, sure, there was no guarantee he was going to start it, but to him it was. And so what is that worth with God's eternal will? I know, right? We intellectually say, sure, until we start praying and God says, go to Jerusalem. Well, excuse me, Lord, do you realize that they don't like me in Jerusalem? I'm a Jew preaching to Gentiles all over the then known world, and I've got the reputation of telling Jews once they get saved in Jesus Christ to stop being a Jew. And I've got the, falsely the reputation of telling Jews don't obey the law. I've got a reputation of telling them, don't circumcise your children. I've got a reputation of saying, negate over 2,000 years or 1,500 years of Jewish tradition. And so they want to kill me there. And God says, yeah, I know. Go there. How far would you be willing to go for God's will? How far was Paul willing to go? Look at verse 13. Paul answers, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since, verse 14, I love this, and since, and since we could not talk Paul out of doing God's will, <laughs> like everybody else has been trying to do for months, everywhere he lands somewhere, Paul, the Spirit told me. It's like, yeah, you act as if like that's news to me. He told me too. You're going to get hurt in Jerusalem. Got it? Don't go. No, got to go. Paul, don't go. Paul, don't go. Paul, don't go. Look, Agabus. Look, Agabus. He's on the floor. He can't even move. That's you. Don't go. He says, I'm going to go. Your family and friends are saying, don't go. The world is saying, don't go. (laughs) Your own common sense may say, don't go. 
I have friends right now that are considering selling everything. Putting it all together to buy very little, to go be in a place very uncomfortable. Why? Because it is the will of God. And this world will pass away. All your riches, all your new cars, all your hopes, all your dreams. One day, FUBU will not be cool anymore. And Damon John will be dead. Don't wish it on him. And then you know what's going to matter? The will of God. I'll mortgage everything for that. Thank you very much. Will you? Or are you hedging your bets? <laughs> I love it. The apostle thunders his response. And at the end of verse 14, what does it say? What's it say? Let the will of the Lord be done. You know, I think that to the first century Christian world, that's where God wanted everybody to get. They're reading the story. They understand the story. Unlike you, whose eyes were crossing when I was talking about Kos and Rhodes and Ptolemaeus and Patra. And, you know, like, what is he saying? You have no idea about that map. Put the map back up there. Half of us because we didn't pay attention in school and the other half because we don't care. And we're like Mediterranean Sea. Where is that? You know, where is Miami Lakes? I don't see La Carreta on there at all. Got this little world, you know. But they understood it. They understood it. They knew what was going on. They got it, man. And Paul, Paul thunders to every Christian on that map. You can't see Rome. I'm going to get you there next couple of weeks. But every Christian on that map is reading this text and is following the narrative and they are into it. And they're going, you know how like when you're yelling at a movie, don't go, don't go in there. No, the bad guy's over there. They're going to kill you. No, stop. You know, like, you know what the character in the movie doesn't know. You know there's an ambush in the next room. So they're walking it. Stop. Like I've actually gotten up and I'm screaming at the TV, you know. And they're screaming at the text. And it's like the character, Paul, just stops, you know, and just turns and looks at the camera in the audience and goes, I'm going because of God's will. And the people in Caesarea stop and turn and go, we were wrong. Let the will of the Lord be done. And that word echoes throughout all that world to Christians who are suffering and dying because they're, they're willing to go all the way for God's will. And it echoes to us today. And if we're worth our salt, as men and women, we say amen. Because salt that's lost its saltiness and just does what the world does, it's worthless. But if we are salt, we say, no, there's something bigger than me and my financial stability and my will. It's God's will. So Paul is willing to pray God's will and Paul is willing to obey God's will, point two. Obey God's will. What did it mean for Paul to obey God's will? Look at verse 15. After the thundering word, the main word of this text, if you don't remember anything from this text, remember two things. There are no lacaretas in first century Mediterranean world. Number two, Remember this, let the will of the Lord be done. Let that thunder in your heart. What did it mean for Paul? 
We're going to get to what it means for us in a moment, but what did it mean for Paul? Verse 15, after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. So they're in Caesarea. This is the port town for Jerusalem. After these days, there were several days. I forget how many, seven, six, five days. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went up with us, bringing us to the house of Nason. Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we lodged. So they now go to Nason's house. He lives in Jerusalem. And here's where it gets intense. Paul's now in Jerusalem. Verse 17, what does it mean? It means obeying God. He's in Jerusalem. What happens in Jerusalem? Verse 17, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. What brothers? The leaders of the church in Jerusalem. James was the leader and the elders. And on the following day, so that day after they get there, I think it was about a two or three day walk from Caesarea to Jerusalem. And on the following day, Paul went in with us to James. All the elders were present. After greeting them, he, Paul, related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So Paul is telling them all that's happened over the last four or five years since the last time they saw him in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council. And he's saying, listen, guys, remember when you made that decision that Gentiles only need to do the following things to be saved by faith alone and Christ alone through the grace of God alone? Well, look, I've been preaching that gospel and look what's happened. And what was their response? Verse 20, and when they heard it, they glorified God. And then it was revival time because Paul sits down and James jumps up and says, hey, Paul, verse 20b, listen, and while you were doing that over these last four or five years, thousands of Jews have been saved in Judea, here in Jerusalem. And they're like, yay! That's the good news. (laughs) Here's the bad news. They're all really zealous for the law, verse 21, And someone told them that you, when you get out amongst Jews that live in the diaspora and the the rest of the Roman world, you're telling Jews that live out there to forsake Moses. You see that? Verse 21, forsake Moses. And you're telling them not to circumcise their children according to the law. That's the bad news. Thousands of these people exist. Believers who are Jews, zealous for the law, and they, they, you've got the reputation for, for disregarding the law, for dissing the law. See, this is why Paul knew that he was going to be walking into a lion's den in Jerusalem. So, James says this to Paul. He says, look, I got the solution. Okay? I got the solution. Verse 22. Here's what you're going to do. Verse 23, we have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they have been saying, they've been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. So what they're saying is this, we got a plan. We're going to have you do two things. There's some guys that are taking a vow, probably a Nazarite vow. It's a vow, oftentimes, of just a vow of thankfulness to God. They're very poor. They can't pay for the offerings. You pay for the offering. You yourself go through the uh, purification ceremony. Why? Because you've just come back to Jerusalem from the Gentile pagan world, and it was not unusual for a Jew who's done that to go through a ceremony to purify themselves ceremonially to be able to come into the temple. Paul is probably thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you saying that 
I'm saved by this? I go, oh, no, 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 you're not saved by this. No, 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 no. Just do this so that they can understand that you, you are saved by faith alone and Christ alone through the grace of God alone. As a matter of fact, and they say that in, verse, in the following verses, verse uh, 24 and 25, listen, or 25, the Gentiles, they're saved by faith alone and Christ alone. We're not putting the law on them. No, no, just do this so that they know that you're not dissing our traditions. We know that we're only saved by the blood of Jesus. But don't disregard 1,500 years of our tradition. Prove to them that you want, you're a respectful man. Remember Paul was saying, to a Jew, I'm a Jew, to a Gentile, I'm a Gentile. Paul was just living out there that the gospel's number one. I have nothing against Judaism. The fulfillment of it is Christ. But now I want to honor Judaism. That's all they're saying. Now here was the problem with that plan. Here was the problem with that plan. And Paul knew it, okay? If Paul did that, it would make him a marked man. Why? Look at verse 26. Then Paul took the bench, so he agrees to the plan, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So if you imagine that there's a hit man and there's a, there's a hit put out on Paul, What's the hitman want to know? Give me a place and a time where I can hit this guy, where I can take him out. Up to this point, Paul is being discreet. He's being moved around. But when Paul goes to the temple, he goes on record and he's saying, today is you know, the first day of the vow. I'm giving notice that on this day, I will be back here with these four guys to present myself. And they got their spies. All right. Go tell the boss he's going to be here on that day. We can get him that day. Come back next week to see if they get him. But this week, this week, I want you to understand, as David Peterson says in his commentary up on the screen, into this minefield of ritual requirements and prohibitions, Paul willingly stepped. He willingly went into the minefield, knowing that his next step he could get his leg blown off metaphorically speaking. He, Paul willingly stepped, perhaps anticipating the dangerous consequences that followed. And so he does that, and he goes back to the house of Nason, goes back to the house of Nason, and he waits probably about seven days. And I could just imagine, during those seven days, Paul is praying God's will. Paul is trying to obey God's will. Paul understands he just became a marked man. Paul understands that he just gave himself up to his enemies. Paul just understood that he willingly marched into Jerusalem to obey the will of God. And then I bet you Paul thought about someone who preceded him in that. And that would be Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Who 25 years earlier followed the will of God when God said to Jesus Christ, my will is that you would go into that city and that you would give your life as a ransom for many. And oh, we pass over that. We pass over the faith. We pass over the prayer. But it was Jesus who taught us how to pray in Matthew 6. And then it was Jesus who modeled for us desperate prayer in Matthew 26. The night before he was going to fulfill the ultimate obedience. It's up on the screen, Matthew 26. 
Verse 36, Jesus on that night, that night after we celebrated the Lord's Supper, Last Supper, they go up into the Mount of Olives. They go into the Garden of Gethsemane and listen to Jesus praying what he taught his disciples to pray and teaches us to pray. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful. It's okay for your soul to be sorrowful on the way to Jerusalem. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed. This was not a nice prayer. This was not a well-orchestrated prayer. This wasn't a beautiful prayer. He wasn't saying, oh, thou God of all creation." This was a slobber producing on his face in the dirt, desperate wailing of a man who knew what God's will would mean for him. Have you ever been there? The tears are flowing. You don't understand. I don't quite understand this next verse. But verse 39 tells me this. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't understand that. I I would think, Jesus, you know it's not possible. Jesus, you know all the Old Testament prophecies. Jesus, you know Isaiah 53. Jesus, you know it's not possible. I'm not sure what all that means, but perhaps it just means this. Oh, this is really, really hard. I, I can't do this anymore. You know, he was God, he was man. He was fully God, fully man. To be tempted that way is not sin. But it is temptation. But oh, then the glorious next words. The final words of verse 39 of Matthew 26. Not as I will, but as you will. And he prayed it three times. Times. Three times. And I can just imagine that the risen Lord Jesus, who had experienced that just 25 years earlier, was there with Paul at Nason's house when he was on the back patio, kneeling down. Paul, maybe his face is in the ground. He's wailing. He knows this is not going to end up well. But the risen Lord Jesus is there with Paul. How do I know that? Because in Romans 8, 34, that Paul wrote just a couple of months earlier, by revelation of Almighty God, Paul wrote this. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. The Jesus who preceded Paul to Jerusalem, knowing he would die there, is the Jesus who rose from the dead by the power of God there, and the Jesus who ascended into heaven 25 years earlier, and the Jesus who was now at the right hand of the Father, and the Jesus who's praying for Paul so Paul could pray for God's will, and more importantly, so Paul could obey God's will. And that same Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now, and though none of us is Paul, and we don't have the importance of Paul, God still is interceding. Jesus is interceding for us so that in the midst of our trials and difficulties and troubles and disappointments, we can march into our Jerusalem. How far would you go for God's will? Would you go all the way? 
all the way to your Jerusalem where the following might await you, resistance to seeking God's will, men sometimes resistance to leading your families, even mocking. Difficulties. Maybe some of you are having difficulties with your health. Trials. Trials in your finances. Yeah, it's hard to give. Trouble. Trouble at work, trouble at school, trouble in your neighborhood. Maybe trouble because of the gospel, because people just don't like it that you're a Christian. Or disappointments. Disappointments with your own self. Disappointments with others. You know that awaits you at your Jerusalem. But God says, go walk there. Jesus says, I've been there. I'm praying for you. Are you willing to go? Are you willing to go all the way, carrying through to, to, to the to fulfillment of your word, of your commitment as a member of this church, as God's child, to the clear leading and conviction in your heart, despite the mounting storms or the clouds or even the rain? We've had a deluge of rain last week. You're swamped with water. There's flooding. It's unpleasant. Don't allow, those would be the voices that were telling Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Friend, listen, you can avoid, you can avoid all these things if you avoid Jerusalem. Here's the sad thing, you will also be missing God's will. And when it's all over, that's all that's going to matter. What's the bottom line? It's simple. The main point here, pray God's will and obey God's will. Are you willing to go that far? Will you pray God's will? Will you pray, Lord, your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, no matter the consequences. Lord, 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 not my will. I don't want this. I'm tempted, but oh Lord, thy will. And then will you obey God's will? Even when it means your imprisonment, your afflictions, or your death. Oh, for most of us, it's not going to be a physical imprisonment or death like Paul faced. No, what we're talking about is a restriction of our own freedoms to do whatever we want to do with whatever we have. Are you willing to go that far? To die to yourself so that you might live to Christ and live to serve others? To die to your rights, to die to your way so that you might live Jesus' way. Oh, may we lose our lives to gain them in Christ. So where is God calling you to do these things, my friends? Will you pray God's will? Will you obey God's will right now? Right now. Let's pray. Worship team, join me up front. Lord, I I preach this message understanding full well that it it is a, a sober message indeed. This is, this is along those lines, Lord, of the cost of discipleship. If any man wishes to follow me, let him take up his cross daily. In that culture, that was a crazy way to build a following, build a church. Not exactly the top marketing technique of the day. And yet it's gospel. We can't follow our own will and your will when our will wants us to go the opposite direction from Jerusalem. We can't serve two masters. We either serve you or man, ourselves, money, fill in the blank. Lord, your will is sweet. 
Your will is, is good. It, your will results in your glory and our good. And so I pray. I pray that you would fill us with your grace. To pray your will. To obey your will. In Jesus' name.